dark place can answer to the light. It's a strong phrase. The whole metaphor of a wasteland. I think sometimes in our culture we're blinded to just how barren our land is because we're confused with what we think is a righteous crop. When we look at the church today, and its influence on this nation, the impact that it has, we can honestly say that there is a trend line based upon metrics and statistics that show that the church has lost its influence such as it once had. The church, quite honestly, at its best has plateaued or in some indications has declined. I mean, think in your own life. Who are the people that you once knew who attended church and no longer attend church? Think about your own life and why it is that you're even attending church this very morning. Could it be that in our own life, in our own community, that there perhaps is a wasteland that God wants to restore that God wants to revive and replenish so that it could be such light in the midst of darkness that it brings hope to those who are in despair? That's what our desire is, that collectively you and I together in the course of these days would make a commitment to pursue God and his light and his righteousness so that it would change us as an individual change our marriages and our families and our community and thus would be able to bring forth change that can impact a nation. We have just concluded a season called primary here in South Carolina, right? And people were looking for answers and they were looking for help and they were looking for hope and they're putting their confidence and trust and faith in someone or in something. But the question is, are we doing it with the same intensity that the secular world is doing when it's looking to a political officer? God, we want you to revive us your people, and not just for our sake, but for your glory. I believe in this message called revival. I believe in the hope and the help and the healing that we find in the person of Jesus Christ, God himself, the Holy Spirit. And our journey together will take us, if we'll allow God, to a place where we can find answers to our questions. That little video you were introduced to a man by the name of Ray. I just want to remind you of a couple things that he said in that video. He said, the glory is gone from this place. He said, I need answers. I came to do something. I saw how great the need was. I was awakened. Wouldn't that be great if we could ask those same questions 
and find answers. He said, I need to face the dark and not dwell in it. And he said, whatever happened in the dark place can answer to the light. I want us to take a little journey this morning. And I want us to come to an understanding as to what the purpose of one cry is. If you have your booklet, you're more than welcome to follow along. It's a little handout that's going to enable us to take this journey together. You won't have to take as many notes, um, but there are also going to be some things on the slides that are not in your notes and you may want to take note of. But one cry is an urgent call for a spiritual awakening that is based upon the following premise, that we God's people need to be awakened to the truth of God's word. I read an article this past week. It was talking about biblical illiteracy. And the statement was made that we are living in a day and age where more Bibles are distributed, but yet there is a greater illiteracy that exists amongst the people of God than at ever any other point in time. And that's dangerous that we could have God's word given to us, not yet know what God's word says to us, and still come to church believing that we're really walking in intimacy with the lover of our soul. We need to be awakened, and we need to recognize what God's word says to us. And as God's word speaks to us, what we need to do is we need to turn in light of what his word says towards what he's calling us to do. We need to turn away from the things that are sucking us in to a wasteland. And we need to be able to pray that God would strengthen us and unite with other believers that with one cry, we would experience a fresh work in this nation that would be noted as a revival. This history is rich in movements of God that would be referred to as great awakenings or revival. What is revival? Let me give you a simple definition. Revival would be this, an extraordinary movement of the Spirit of God that produces extraordinary results in the lives of his followers. You ever meet somebody and you just can sense that there is something different about them? They're enthusiastic, they're excited, they're passionate. They really are living with a purpose. I believe that when God gets a hold of a church, And we understand that a church is not simply brick and mortar. It's not a geographical location on a map. It's not carpet and chairs. The church is a body of people. You all are the church. If a storm were to whip through this area, destroy this facility, would the church cease to exist? Yes or no? No, the church would still exist. Why? Because the church is the bride of Christ. It is a people group. And what happens when a people group really connects with the lover of their soul, God? Something extraordinary happens, something extraordinary. I've not always been a preacher. I've only been preaching the word of God for the last 20 years. 
prior to that season of time. Uh, I was a businessman in my community. I lived in South Florida. Um, Some people say, Ryan, that's not really the South. That's just a bunch of Northerners planted on a bunch of mangrove islands down there. But I'll consider it the South since that's where I hail from. And uh, I was a businessman in my community. I I was a believer in Jesus Christ, although that was not always the case. I mean, some people look at me, and maybe you're even checking me out this morning as I'm checking you out. You're deciding whether you want to stay. I'm deciding whether I want to go. But you check me out, and you say, you don't look like a Christian. You kind of look like a Middle Eastern terrorist. Dark skin, big nose, bushy eyebrows? Well, that's because my ancestors are from the Middle East. I'm Jewish. I didn't grow up in a Christian community. I didn't grow up in a church environment. I grew up in a Jewish culture. But something happened to me when I was a teenager. I was introduced to the person of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus revealed his Messiahship throughout Scripture, that he was the one that was prophesied, and he came to fulfill that which was prophesied, and as he gave his life to live out the will of the Father, and as he came to the point where he was willing to surrender his life in death on a cross, and then in the burial, and then in the resurrection, I have come to accept that Jesus is the Messiah who was called to us in the Old Testament. And I became a believer, my late teens. And pretty soon I got indoctrinated into church. And you know, our churches have their own indoctrination styles. The church that I was indoctrinated in was a a KJV only church, very traditional. Your hair had to be above your ears, not touching your collar. You had to wear a belt on your trousers. You had to have socks if you were wearing shoes and you were attending. I mean, it, it was really about conformity. Now, don't get me wrong. Even though there were those issues of conformity, it was a place where I also grew because God was revealing himself to me. But I also knew how to just pick up the Christian lingo or lifestyle. You know, there's a certain way that Christians dress. There's a certain way that Christians are supposed to act. There's a certain way that Christians talk. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory be to God. You put the fish on the back of the car. You wear the cross around the neck. You, you, you live this cleaner life. But yet, you know, you can go and you can live this cleaner life of conformity that I refer to as religiosity and yet never really have an intimate connect with the lover of your soul. You'll hear me say that phrase repeatedly, lover of your soul, lover of your soul. There is no one who loves you more than God. There was no one who desires greater intimacy with you more than God. He is the one that will refer to himself as the father. He is the one who reminds us that we are his children. He is the one that calls us his people. And we are the one that should call him our God. And yet, in the midst of doing life, in the midst of doing church, in the midst of doing what it is that we do, we can really drift away from the lover of our soul. 
We can come to church, and I'm sure there are some here this morning that quite honestly, you came with no expectation. You came maybe because you were pulled. You came maybe because out of politeness of the one who asked you, you came really maybe because you wanted to think that if I did this, check it off my box, I'd get a blessing from God. I think what has happened in the church of America today is that what we do is we look more for what's in the hand of God like a sugar daddy than we look to the person of God. I was sharing with a couple individuals not long ago that concept of looking into the hand of God as a sugar daddy, and I asked them, do you know what a sugar daddy is? And somebody raised their hand and said, yeah, it's uh, caramel on a stick. I said, right answer, wrong concept. Many of us really simply look for what God can do for us, not how we can live our lives for God. Well, in January of 1994, I was a businessman in Sarasota, attending church, kind of doing my religious activity. I was a small group leader. I was a Sunday school teacher. But our pastor had scheduled something called revival, and I really didn't know what revival was, at least if I had a conjuring up a thought of what revival was. It would be something where I had envisioned a big white tent and a preacher clearing a spot to have a fit and, and people coming forward and getting saved. And, and, you know, that's not revival, but that's what many of us think of what revival is. You know what revival is? It's an infusion of God within the hearts of believers that changes them. I I like to say it this way. It's a fresh infusion of life from God. And our pastor had this team come to our church. It was this ministry called Life Action Ministries. And we were going to gather for church Sunday through Sunday through Sunday, every single night meeting. And I thought, Man, that is just crazy. I'm married. I have kids. I have a business that I'm running. How in the world could I go to church every single night? I mean, I won't ask you how many of you think that's crazy, but if I were to ask you to raise your hands, probably overwhelmingly, a number of us would say, that's just insane. But that first Sunday morning, something happened. God awakened me to something. And here's what he awakened me to. Ryan? You're an inch deep in your intimacy with me, the lover of your soul, and you're a mile wide in your love affair with everything that the world has to offer you. And you will go, and you will do, and you will commit, and you will sacrifice, and you will embrace everything that the world has, but with me, you won't. Man, in that moment, God revealed to me me as he saw me. And you know what he revealed to me? I really had drifted from the lover of my soul. None of us intentionally just want to move away from God if we're really sincere about our relationship with Jesus. But the busyness of life creeps in and and pulls us away. It happens in every relationship. The closest relationship I could think of is with this woman on the front row. This is my wife. Would you stand up for a second, honey? This is my girlfriend, my sweetheart, my darling, my lover. So if you hear me refer to somebody on the front row, know that I'm talking about the same woman, okay? Uh, Marianne and I, we've been married 26 years. We have six children. 
we have four girls and two boys. And uh, it, it's funny, in the midst of doing life together, how we can drift apart. 26 years of marriage, you wouldn't think that would be the case. But not long ago, Marianne and I were very intentional about getting away to renew our intimacy with one another because we'd just been so busy blowing, going, and doing. And as we stepped out of the traffic of life, hit the pause button, cried out to God to refresh us as individuals, refresh our marriage, there was a sense of renewed love. My wife then made this comment after our first night of being together away from kids. She said, honey, it's been a long time since we've just lingered together. That's not a word that we use widely in our vernacular, linger together. One young man said to the parent, should we be in here? Is that a dirty word? Is that nasty, lingering? What's that mean? So we continued on our journey of just being together, renewing our intimacy. The next night in uh, the setting of our hotel room, I'm a little romantic. I turned on the music and took her hand and brought her close to me, and we danced. Can Baptist dance? I danced. And my wife said this, honey, it's been a long time since we've danced together. And what God was saying is that in the closeness of human relationships, drift exists. But what about in our relationship with him where we drift? And quite honestly, all of a sudden there's a hole in our life. We see ourselves in a helpless state, a hopeless state, a hurting state, and we look towards the things of the world to help us as opposed to really just drawing nearer to God for revival, to revive our intimacy. I want to take you on a little bit of journey through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. We're going to look at a number of passages of Scripture. You're not going to have time to write them down. But in your notebook, if you just write the reference, go back and visit them. And I want us to get a vision that God has. And I want God's vision to be our vision. And I want us to understand what God's desire is. We'll begin understanding as we unpack these verses. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 7 and following, the scripture says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. All right, what is that covenant? To be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will be their God. Exodus chapter 29, verse 45 and following. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Leviticus 26, verse 43 and following. They rejected my ordinances and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I so abhor them as to destroy them, breaking my covenant with them. Why? For I am the Lord their God. But I will remember them 
in the covenant with their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 32 This is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, and I will remember it no more against them. Jeremiah in chapter 32, verse 38. They shall be my people. I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them, to do, but to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. Ezekiel, a prophet, made this statement, chapter 37, verse 23. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols or with their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. The prophet goes on to say in chapter 39, verse 28, and then they will know that I am the Lord their God because I made them go into the exile among the nations and then gathered them again to their own land. And I will leave none of them there any longer. I will not hide my face from them any longer for I have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 8. And I will bring them back and they will live in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people. And I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. What does the New Testament say? Well, in John chapter 1, the scripture says this. The word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 and following, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from the midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be as sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. The book of Hebrews in the 8th chapter, the 10th verse. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then in the conclusion in the book of Revelation in the 21st chapter, verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. 
And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. And he who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be their God. And they will be my children. Are you gaining a vision as to what God's vision is? Church? Are you understanding that the creator of all heaven and earth longs to have a very real, intimate relationship with you? He's the lover of your soul. Is there a desire within you to pursue him with everything that you have? The scripture says you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. In essence, to love him with the totality of who you are. God, I love you. God, I want you. God, I desire you. God, I long for you. We look at people like that and we say, man, those are fanatics. One man once said the definition of a fanatic is just someone who loves God a little bit more than you and is willing to show it. We live in our culture where we say, well, that's private and that's personal. Really? I don't find that in Scripture. And I believe in our private and personal culture that we have created, the Word of God has lost relevancy. And that's why Christianity is on a decline. You can build the buildings, you can create the programs, you can throw the dollars at it, but apart from that, Or in light of all of that, that doesn't mean that you've got a blowing and going church that loves God. You might just have a blowing and going church. When the people who are closest to you and the people who come behind you look at your life and give eulogy one day, well, they say, let me tell you about my mom. Let me tell you about my dad. Let me tell you about my husband or my wife. Let me tell you about my parents, my grandparents, or my children, my siblings. They loved God They knew God. They walked with God. God was their hope. They had an awakening. They understood the hope of revival. You see, God uses his incomprehensible power to shake nations, transform cities, heal families, and redeem individuals. And you know what God wants to do in the course of these next several days? Is he wants to take us on a journey where we recognize that he's our everything. We're awakened to that concept. Another passage of scripture. I want to give you just a couple points that will take us on this journey for the next couple of days. Psalm 85 says this. Lord, you showed your favor to your land. You restored the captivity of Jacob. 
You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your fury. You turned away your burning anger. Restore us, O God of our salvation. Cause us, or restore us, O God of our salvation. Cause your indignation towards us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not yourself revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. Show us your loving kindness, O Lord. Grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones. But let them not turn back to folly, and surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory may dwell in our land. Loving kindness and truth have met and kissed. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth springs from the earth, and righteousness looked down from heaven indeed. And the Lord will give what is good. And our land will yield its produce and righteousness will go before him and will make his, step, his footsteps into a way. So let's just look at something here real quick. When we understand that he is hope, then we understand that he alone can save us. No one and no thing. God, restore us, O God of our salvation. Cause your indignation, indignation towards us to cease. God wants to restore the joy of our salvation and God wants to extend salvation to those who know him not, who really don't know him as their father. When revival happens, we gain hope again. Hope that he alone can revive us with a fresh intensity to pursue him and to love others. I believe one of the reasons why we don't see the church growing is because we really don't love others. And I believe the reason why we really don't love others is because we really don't love God. And the reason why I say that is because love for God is magnified through obedience to God. And the scripture says we're to love others. Here would be an example of loving others. Inviting the lost to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? a worker who has a cubicle next to you, a student who you do school with, a teacher, maybe a client, maybe someone in your own family. See, I know that we don't like to be slapped with such harsh truth, particularly from a stranger who doesn't know us. But dear people, do you understand that if we really loved others, we would be fulfilling the Great Commission and there would not be enough seats in this facility to hold all the rear ends that are in the immediate vicinity? Why don't we see that? Because we don't really love others to the point that we care for their eternal destiny. Because we really don't know God and we don't love God to the point where we're willing to obey him. See, what we need God to do is to revive us to a fresh awareness of who he is and what he's called us to be. You see, he alone awakens the lost. He alone transforms a culture. And he alone wants to advance the mission that he set before us. And we, his, his people, need to make it our priority to seek God. In revival, we seek him for a fresh infusion. And understand this, he is near. That brings me hope. 
And his nearness is such that he wants us to cry out to him. And there could be a real danger here this morning that you could hear what I'm saying, look at all of the scripture, and miss it. And you've done your religious thing. You've come to church. And you've missed an intimate meeting with the lover of your soul. I want to extend an invitation to you. And here's the invitation. It's not a simple one. A simple one would be just come to the altar and say a quick prayer. Here's the invitation. Would you be willing to seek God with me and with others in the course of this week to awaken within us a hope for him? Would you be willing to make God the priority of your life? When you leave here this morning, there are bowls at each of the entrances that come into the auditorium. And in those bowls, there's a piece of chalk. You'll see there's a circle here on this rug. Your pastor preached a message not long ago on 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and as he was preaching that message and what it means to love, he referenced an old itinerant preacher by the name of Gypsy Smith. And I want to share something in relationship to Gypsy Smith that maybe you've heard before, but you've since forgotten. Gypsy Smith would travel the land preaching on the message of revival, challenging the church to enter into a renewed intimacy with the lover of their soul, God. And before he would preach a message, he would take out a piece of chalk in his hotel room and he would draw a circle on the old wooden floor. And he would step into that circle and he would say this, God send revival, but let it begin in me first. God send revival. Does our nation need revival? It sure does. Does South Carolina need revival? It sure does. Does Fort Mills need revival? It sure does. Does First Baptist Church of Fort Mills need revival? It sure does. But the question is, are you willing to say, God, send revival? Let it begin in me first. Cause me to be awakened to the greatness of who you are understanding that you are my God and that I am your child and help me walk in intimacy with you. I assure you this, if you do that, I don't care what you're facing, you will find the help that you need to carry you through it. But apart from your acknowledgement, dear people, You'll just do what so many others do. They walk into church and out of church and really had no encounter. And they just get sucked back into the vortex of life and all of its worldliness. And they end up living in a wasteland that bears no fruit. May you set the example within this community. Would you stand with me? I want to thank you for giving me your undivided attention this morning. How rude of me, I didn't even introduce myself. 
whether you remember my name or not is irrelevant. The scripture says, to him who speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. To him who serves, let him serve with the strength which God supplies. Why? So that in all things God may be glorified. Who I am, I'm just a messenger of the Lord, proclaiming the truth of God's word. But if you want to know, my name is Ryan, and I'll introduce myself better this evening. Would you pray with me? We're going to close with this last song. Lord, thank you, Father for reminding us that you are a God who pursues us. God, would you help us make a radical change in our life this week to where we will put the brakes on, we'll step out of the traffic, and we will come into your presence, and we will experience a renewed intimacy with you, the lover of our soul. Help us, Lord, by your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name.